listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Let the Bible Speak. We're going to continue today in our studies in the book of Psalms, and we've been looking at what we've termed personal prayers or experiential prayers. Prayers the psalmist has offered that are are very, very personal. They involve some form of request followed by the word me. So it might be lead me or save me. It may be revive me. Well, today we're going to look at one in the verse number 24 of the Psalm 102. The Psalm 102 in the verse number 24 says, I said, O my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Take me not away in the midst of my days. That's the prayer that the psalmist offers. And I'm going to pray now. I'm going to ask for God to bless his word to our hearts today. And then we'll come into our studies and we'll read some other verses from the psalm as we make our way through our study today. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this opportunity to consider the word of God. We thank you for inspiring the psalmist to write these words. And we pray that you would help us to consider them carefully, that they'd be applied in our hearts and that we'd be enabled to walk with thee humbly and to the honour and glory of Christ's name. In whose name we pray. Amen. So in this 102nd Psalm, there is trouble in the midst of the nation. Zion is under distress. Zion that is sometimes used as a name for the city of God, Jerusalem. Other times as a name for the entire nation. In verse 13, In the midst of this prayer, the psalmist says, Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favour her. Yea, the set time is come. For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favour the dust thereof. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. And so the implication here is that there is trouble in the nation and Zion is under distress. But accompanying this national crisis is a personal crisis in the life of the psalmist. Verse number two says, Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call, answer me speedily. He describes his days being consumed like smoke and his bones are burned as an hearth. His heart is smitten and withered like grass. He forgets to eat his bread. These are the terms the psalmist uses. He describes himself in in very vivid language as a pelican in the wilderness, as an owl in the desert. These descriptions of solitude, of loneliness, of extreme hardship. He says, I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. There's a tremendous personal conflict here and great distress of soul and indeed of body. Personal trouble 
is, I believe, here linked to the national crisis. And that is not difficult to understand. When the nation is in crisis, the righteous lament. When the people of God were suffering generally, oh, then the Lord's people, they were suffering distress in the midst of that crisis. It's also worth remembering that in national crisis, the righteous are not exempt. That as God brought judgment upon the people of Israel for their sins, so the righteous remnants suffered with them. And so it is today. As we live in days of national crisis, well, we as the righteous, we lament, and we also share in the sufferings of the wicked, not because of our wickedness, but as God's chastening rod is felt in the nation, so we are not exempt from suffering with them. And thus in the course of the ebb and flow of complaint and faith in this psalm, he comes to the lament of verse number 23, where he says about the Lord, He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. You know, he's describing affliction and distress and indeed impending death. He attributes to the Lord that the Lord is shortening his days. His days are shortened in the midst of this affliction and trial. That leads to the personal prayer that we're considering today, the verse number 24. I said, O my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. In essence, it is a prayer that expresses the psalmist's desire that he would not be taken away. He would not die in his prime. Take me not away in the midst of my days. There's a recognition that death is not the end of life. It is being taken to another place. Indeed, the language speaks of being taken up, taken up into heaven, uh, like as Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind. And so he's praying here, the psalmist is praying, take me not away in the midst of my days. He understands his life is useful. Uh, he still has things to do and accomplish for the cause of the Lord. We might ask the question, should a Christian desire death? Is death something that a Christian should look forward to and consider with longing? Well, sometimes people will quote the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 without doing justice perhaps to the whole. Certainly, the Apostle says that it is uh, better to be with Christ. And indeed, he says, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. But he expresses that in the sense of conflict, conflict in his own mind, as he acknowledges the fact that he's in prison, as he acknowledges the fact that death is very possible. And so he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not, or I, I know not, for I am a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And so whilst the Christian will not fear death and must not fear death, yet at the same time, the Christian should not long for life to be concluded. There should be the recognition that as they live, they live in the will of God and their desire is to serve the Lord and serve Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in his excellent commentary on the Psalms, The Treasury of David, says this, we may lawfully ask for recovery from sickness 
and may hope to be heard. Good men should not dread death, but they are not forbidden to love life. For many reasons, the man who has the best hope of heaven may nevertheless think it desirable to continue here a little longer for the sake of his family, his work, the church of God, and even the glory of God itself. And so Spurgeon, I believe, accurately reflects the heart of the psalmist when he makes the point that good men are not forbidden to love life and indeed to seek their life to be preserved. And so as we look at this personal psalm, let me note with you, first of all, the foundational conviction that undergirds this psalm. And that foundational conviction is that the Lord is sovereign over death. He prays to God in the knowledge that God is sovereign over his days. As Job will say, seeing his days are determined, the number of months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. That's Job 14 verse 5. Job himself reflects on the truth that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He's speaking there of many things, his, his children, his livelihood, his health. But he's recognizing the fact that it is the Lord who gives life and the Lord who takes life away. We believe in the words of the apostle, it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment or oh, the day of our death is appointed. The wise man in Ecclesiastes says, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit neither hath he power in the day of death. We lack the power over our death. God is the one who rules. He is sovereign over our days. We accept God's rule over our lives. We accept that the bounds of our lives are determined by God. We accept that the number of our days are in God's sovereign purpose. Therefore, we may ask, why would we pray for life? Well, it is the age-old dynamic in the Word of God, and that is the truth that God's sovereignty does not remove our responsibility or indeed our privilege to petition the Lord. In the Psalm 38, in the verse 13, the psalmist prays, O spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. These inspired prayers are a recognition that it is indeed appropriate and honouring to God to pray for our lives to be spared. We have the famous account of Hezekiah, recorded in Isaiah chapter 38, where it says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the Lord sends Isaiah to speak to him, and the Lord tells Hezekiah, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And then Hezekiah turns his face toward the wall and prays unto the Lord, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And then the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and the the Lord tells Isaiah to go to Hezekiah and says to Hezekiah, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. The Lord has heard Hezekiah's prayer Hezekiah has sought the Lord for life, and the Lord has been pleased to hear that prayer. Is he praying for health and seeking to preserve our lives reflects our responsibility without ignoring God's sovereignty. The believer understands that God is sovereign over life and over death, but that sovereignty does not cause them to neglect 
their responsibility to call upon the Lord in times of health crisis. Death is approaching and yet it may well be appropriate for the child of God to say, Lord, spare my life. Spare me that I may recover strength. That prayer is founded on the conviction that God alone rules our lives. He alone has the authority and the ability to answer such a prayer. And as Spurgeon says, we may lawfully ask for recovery from sickness and may hope to be heard. And so the foundational conviction of this prayer is indeed the Lord's sovereignty over death. But in the second place, note the relational confidence that runs through this prayer. In the prayer of the Psalm 102, the psalmist prays, I said, O my God. Note that personal pronoun of faith. What a precious word that is, my, my God. Not the God or a God, but my God. In the life of the child of God in Israel, such a conviction arose out of God's covenantal promise. God in covenant has promised, I will be their God. Hence the believer says, he is my God. And that is the disposition of faith and trust in God. Claiming the covenantal promise, he said he was my God and he indeed is my God. The one who is sovereign over our lives, the life of the believer, is not our God, not a distant being, not unrelated to us, but he indeed is our God. He is my God. Now, please note, if you're listening to this program today, please note, we cannot claim this without God first coming to us in a loving covenant of grace. We have no right to simply assert that God is my God. In light of our sin, we are separated from God. We are strangers to the covenants of promise. It is only by grace that God becomes our God. God himself says, I will be their God. That is the first essential promise. By love, by grace, and indeed by blood, God enters covenant. We then and only then can say, my God when we have our confidence and trust in this covenant, the covenant that was secured by Christ's blood, the blood of the everlasting covenant. And so when we come to trust in Christ, leaving behind our sin, so we then can say, my God. And we come to prayer and we say, my God in prayer. This relationship is one of confidence. But who is this God who is my God? Well, he is the eternal God. And the psalmist reflects upon that in this prayer. He says, Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the, of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. He acknowledges that God is the self-sufficient God who precedes time. No one, nothing created God. God is the eternal creator who transcends time. He is the omnipotent God. He is the God who spoke the word and brought the worlds into being. He is the God who made these things with the work of his hands. He is the eternal, omnipotent God who is invulnerable, who is the God who cannot perish, 
they shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shall change them, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. The psalmist prays over the doctrine of God, attributing to God these attributes of being the self-sufficient, eternal, omnipotent, invulnerable God, and a God who in turn is faithful to his promises. He says in the verse number 28, The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. This is the God of the Bible. And when you read this psalm, you see that, again, our theology must govern our prayer life. We pray by faith. Who God is governs what we pray. And who God is governs where our heart is and our confidence is when we pray. The psalmist can pray, Lord, take me not away in the midst of my days. Because he believes God to be the one who transcends time. He is the only one who can prolong our days. He is the only one who has the authority and the ability to hear such a prayer. And he believes that God is indeed the faithful God of covenant, that the children of God's servants shall continue and their seed shall be established before thee. That's, that's holding on to the promises of covenant. And so he comes before God in prayer and in confidence. He comes before the God who is indeed his God, my God, and he believes that God is able and willing to hear his prayers. These things are so vitally important. We, we are not praying in a vacuum. We are praying upon the foundation of biblical truth. Uh, may God's word comfort and encourage our hearts as we consider it in this prayer. So we've thought about the foundational conviction. And we've thought about the relational confidence. And finally, let's give some time to think about the practical consequences what truths are implied by this prayer? Well, there are two that I want to leave with you today. First of all, there is a consequence of an assertion of the preciousness of life. This prayer implies the psalmist's conviction that life is precious. To pray for life to be preserved involves a belief that life is good. If you again would... Here, the quotation from Spurgeon, he says this, Good men should not dread death, but they are not forbidden to love life. For many reasons, the man who has the best hope of heaven may nevertheless think it desirable to continue here a little longer for the sake of his family, his work, the church of God, and even the glory of God itself. Life is good, and a desire to be with Christ is to be held alongside the sovereign purpose of God. Our days on earth are ordained of God. We live because that is God's good purpose and pleasure. There are many in this world who struggle with a sense of life's futility. They have thoughts of life not worth living, suicidal ideation, and in part they have failed to recognize that every day they live is a day that God has given them. The sixth commandment we know tells us that thou shalt not kill in the Westminster Larger Catechism, the duties required in this commandment involve all careful studies and lawful endeavours to preserve the life of ourselves and others. It goes on to say that we do this by the just defence thereof against violence, by patient bearing 
of the hand of God, by quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, physic, sleep, labor, and recreation. What they're suggesting to us as they expound this commandment, and I believe expound a prayer such as we have in this psalm, they are reminding us that it is godly to preserve our lives. It is godly to seek to preserve our lives by moderate use of exercise and by maintaining a good diet. The Christian who may have the attitude that says, well, sure, I'm going to die someday anyway, is a Christian that is not honouring God, not honouring the Lord who indeed has bought their body with his blood. We are those who believe in the value of life and the value of the body not the body that is to be worshipped as a source of idolatry, but rather the body that is given to God. And so those ethical practices that prolong life are to be commended. I understand there is great debate at this time regarding the use of vaccinations and the need for masks and distancing and all of these things. But leaving aside those particular debates, we should recognise that ethical Practices that prolong life are to be commended. And in the history of healthcare, Christians were often at the forefront. They sought to exercise dominion over the world by seeking to bring in things that preserved life, that sustained life. Oh yes, the Christian is aware that death is inevitable. They are aware that they must prepare to meet their God. They are aware that they cannot live forever. But at the same point, they value life. They view life as being something that is precious. That's implied in this prayer. It should also be noted that this prayer implies an awareness of the purpose of life. Life has meaning, it has purpose, life has a cause. Again, Spurgeon, he made the point in the quotation that I've, I've, I've read several times now. He says, it is desirable to continue here a little longer. Some may think that for the sake of his family, his work, the church of God, and even the glory of God itself. Life has a purpose. Let me highlight three as I close. First of all, we live to exercise faith in God, a faith that praises the name of God. When Hezekiah and his prayer is answered, he, he responds to God and says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. For the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. There's the recognition of praising the name of God. Life is given that we would honour and praise God's name. Life's a gift. Breath is a gift. Breath is a gift to exalt and praise the name of God. Furthermore, not only do we live to exercise faith in God, we live that we might be faithful in our walk with God. In the Psalm 116, the psalmist says, For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Here's the psalmist confessing that he's going to 
exercise faithfulness in his walk with God. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That involves communion with God. It involves a commitment to the commands of God, a determination to exalt and honour and glorify God in his life. We live to serve the Lord. We live as those who are to be obedient in the Lord's cause. And finally, we live for the furtherance of the gospel. This was Paul's conviction in Philippians chapter 1. He knows that if he should abide, he says very clearly in Philippians 1, I know that I shall abide and continue with all for your furtherance and joy of faith. He knows that for him to abide in the flesh is needful for the believers there in Philippi. He understands that his life has purpose, that he is on this earth to serve his Lord. He understands that Christ, by his work, by his life and by his death, has secured the soul of the apostle and body and soul. He's going to live for Christ Jesus. He's going to serve. He's going to evangelize the lost. He's going to spread the gospel without fear, um, without any desire to glorify self. His burden is the glory of Christ, to live as Christ. He's going to evangelize the lost and he's going to edify the saints. He's going to give himself fully for the honor and glory of Christ, seeking to encourage and promote the things of Christ in the hearts of those whom he's come to love. Oh, how these purposes vary from the goals of the world today. Their desire is for the favor of man. Their desire is for monetary gain. Their desire is for prosperity prestige and for promotion oh but the child of God they live they live to bring all the glory to Christ and so may we value life may we learn from this personal prayer the psalmist says oh my God take me not away in the midst of my days while we have breath may we live for the glory of God while we breath in our lungs may we praise his name while we have breath may we speak of our saviour may we make Christ known that others would come to know and love our Saviour. And so let's close in a word of prayer. We do again thank you for listening and we trust that God will be pleased to encourage us in his truth in these days. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this inspired prayer. And may this prayer, may it govern our own attitudes and our own thoughts regarding this life. We pray for some who may be discouraged. We pray encourage them in truth and bless them we ask, O Lord, today. For the honour and glory of Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.